Dr. Wong Chin Yi, IPS Research Fellow, will now share the findings from the SP 2024 pre-conference poll. Following that, he will join Dr. Chu Han Yi, IPS Adjunct Senior Research Fellow, and Mr. Melvin Tay, IPS Research Associate, for a moderated discussion. I would now like to invite the panelists on stage. Panelists, please. Ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining us today for Singapore Perspectives 2024. My name is Chin Yi, and I'm part of the organizing team for the conference. I'll be running through the key findings from a poll that we conducted as a complementary piece to SP2024, which centers on the theme of youth, and we aim to set a backdrop for the discussions that will take place as part of the conference. To kick off the sharing, it's ideal for us to start with our aims. In other words, why did we want to conduct this poll? And the first part of this answer is actually quite straightforward. We want to explore the attitudes, values, and opinions of Singaporeans in issues concerning well-being, work, family, civic engagement, and life transitions. This is in line with the same domains that we're exploring in SP2024. But the second point here is really what's most important to us, considering that there is already a wealth of youth research out there. The true value of the poll is in comparisons across age groups. Essentially, we want to see whether youth and older respondents have similar or different responses over a range of outcomes. And this serves as a complement to existing youth research, where there are some notably extensive longitudinal studies, but focus solely on youth respondents. Those longitudinal studies allow us to track whether youth outcomes have shifted over time, whereas the pre-conference poll complements that by allowing us to understand whether these outcomes are unique to our youth or if they are broadly applicable to all Singaporeans. So just to go through the methodology in brief, we surveyed 2,356 Singapore citizens and PRs aged from 21 to 64 through online panels. And we utilized quota sampling to ensure that there were equal proportions of respondents from the different age bands, since that is the focus of our comparisons. In reality, the youngest age group is slightly smaller in proportion in reflection of the aging population here. Besides age proportions, the sample for the poll approximates our national demographics, especially in key variables like gender and ethnicity. I'll now go through some of the key highlights from our findings. In the family segment, we aim to measure public sentiments regarding singlehood, romantic relationships, and family formation to better understand the factors that are contributing to the decline in these areas. This is in line with discussions from the online panels as well, specifically pertaining to shifting timelines and attitudes towards marriage and parenthood, coupled with the foreseeable problems resulting from our aging population. And not too surprisingly, we find that younger respondents are more likely to indicate that it is acceptable if an individual chooses to remain single, 82% compared to 78 and 75% in the 35 to 49 and 50 to 64 age groups respectively. Although the baseline here is rather high in general when we consider all respondents. A similar pattern is seen when we ask about the necessity of marriage or of children in a marriage. Again, the younger respondents are more likely to agree that it is not necessary, and the differences are a bit larger this time. 70% of youth respondents agree or strongly agree that it is not necessary to get married, compared to 58 and 50% in the two older age groups. 
And on the right side, 72% of younger respondents agree or strongly agree that it's not necessary to have children in marriage, compared to 63% and 49% in the older age groups. However, we see a different pattern of results when we actually ask the respondents about their family plans and aspirations. So we ask all unmarried respondents whether they foresee themselves getting married, and also ask all respondents without children whether they hope to have children. And among those aged 21 to 34, close to 70% still foresee themselves getting married, as well as having children in the future. For these questions, we'll zoom in a bit more for the youngest age group, since life stage and other practical considerations will differ for older age groups here. Naturally, there is also a lower proportion of older respondents who are unmarried or who do not have children. And what we see in general is that aspirations for marriage and parenthood remain strong among our youth respondents. Even when we split the comparisons among youths who are currently dating or married against those who are not, we see that 54% of single youths still foresee themselves getting married, and 56% of the not married, not dating group still hope to have children in the future. On the whole, we can see that family formation aspirations remain strong, with more than half aspiring for marriage and parenthood even among currently single youth. And this is broadly consistent with data from Youth Steps, which is a longitudinal research effort from the National Youth Council and IPS. There are attitudinal shifts in that fewer youths find romantic relationships and parenthood to be essential for fulfillment, yet the interest in dating, marriage and parenthood remain high. In other words, it appears that perceptions of marriage and parenthood have shifted more so than actual family aspirations and plans. So if there are still strong aspirations for marriage and parenthood among the younger generation, yet population trends suggest that these figures are on downward trajectory, what factors are holding Singaporeans back from their family aspirations? As a whole, our respondents who are currently not dating or not married cited not having met the right person yet and prefer to remain single as their top reasons for not doing so. But when we dive into the breakdown by age groups, more interesting patterns emerge. Single respondents aged 21 to 34, they're more likely to say that they have other priorities or that they do not have the time or energy to date. On the other hand, older respondents are more likely to indicate a preference to remain single. This preference is not as high up in the rank order for youth respondents, and it appears that there is some crucial inflection point when we cross the threshold of 35 years, as the order approximately flips for these stated reasons past the age group. So a question is raised here, what are the youth's other priorities? and what is taking out their time and energy. We see a similar pattern when it comes to reasons for not getting married. When asked why, those aged 21 to 34 are more likely to say that it is too expensive to get married in Singapore. Meanwhile, older respondents are again more likely to cite a preference for singlehood. Again, the question is raised here. We know that it is not getting married per se that is expensive in Singapore, but some of the perceived requirements may be. What are some of these considerations that may be impeding marriage aspirations? Finally, high cost and high stress surface as the top two reasons for not wanting to have children across all three age groups. For this question, the rank order of reasons was pretty much the same across all ages, and these findings motivate us to look into other studies for a glimpse into some of these specific factors that may be influencing family formation decisions. Again, based on youth steps, we see that employment prospects, stress, and financial stability are key considerations in romantic relationships and marriage. As for parenthood, married youths without children, they stated three top preconditions to be achieved before they would consider having children. Employment benefits pertaining to the fulfillment of parenting obligations, 
financial stability and having their own home. Thus, we can see that finances and other pragmatic reasons are likely to be the key considerations holding youths back from their family aspirations. Next, we'll move on to our findings pertaining to the domain of well-being. Much of these findings are relevant to the discussions that took place during the online panels as well, specifically online versus offline interactions, as well as social isolation. We started off with a broader question by asking respondents what they hope to see being done to improve the current mental health landscape in Singapore. Most respondents hope to see greater access to affordable mental health care services and more public education to reduce stigma. Younger respondents are more likely to hope for greater mental health support in schools and workplaces, essentially in place. So there is at least some expectation or preference among this generation that schools or workplaces will support mental health needs as well. Conversely, older respondents are more likely to hope for more information on how or where to find mental health support. Next, we examine attitudes towards online and offline interactions, and we find that youths are more likely to experience social anxiety during in-person interactions. 53% of youth respondents find it easier to talk to people online than offline, compared to 46 and 31% in the older age groups. And 56% of youth respondents report feeling anxious if they sometimes have to talk to people in person, compared to 43% and 32% in the older age groups. We also see a number of studies and news reports about the rise of social isolation concerns in the wake of COVID-19, when everyday interactions were greatly disrupted. Loneliness is also often characterized as an elderly issue, but recent research increasingly demonstrates that the young are not immune to it either. Indeed, within our poll, we find that young people are more likely to report higher levels of social isolation and loneliness. The mean scores displayed on this chart they are based on a three-item loneliness scale, where respondents provide a rating from one to three on each of the items. So the possible scores range from three to nine, with a higher score denoting greater loneliness. We see that youths are likely to report a higher loneliness score than the other two age groups. The whiskers above and below the mean represent standard deviation, which shows us how dispersed or clustered individual scores are around the mean. Here, the standard deviations do not differ a lot across age groups. In addition, we found some differences within age group as well. For respondents aged from 21 to 34, single youths are more likely to report a higher loneliness score. When we move on to the next age group, and presumably the next life stage, unmarried respondents are more likely to report a higher loneliness score for respondents aged from 35 to 49 years old as well. So this suggests that how family plans and aspirations play out, they can have an important and sometimes longer-term impact on our well-being outcomes as well. When we look at the three sub-items involved in this skill, separately, the pattern is quite consistent. Younger respondents are more likely to report feeling isolated, left out, and also lacking companionship. Of course, there is a necessary caveat here. We can see that the majority of respondents still indicate either some of the time or hardly ever. Some of the time is also not the most stringent cut-off, in the sense that it can be quite normal or even expected to experience negative feelings sometimes. So what we want to highlight here is that the really important takeaway is the differences across age groups. When we compare by age, these differences are quite consistent. Finally, we want to point out that it cannot be concluded that youths are the loneliest age group based on our poll, as we only involve respondents between the age of 21 to 64. This was done to avoid a skewed sample, considering the online nature of the poll. As highlighted a bit earlier, social isolation is an area of major concern for the elderly as well. Our findings that social isolation are in line with data points from the National Youth Survey conducted by NYC. 
youths are reporting fewer and fewer close friends over time as well. And we also want to highlight that these issues are not unique to Singapore. International studies generally find the same pattern. On the bright side, some data from the USTEP study suggests that quality social ties may still remain, with the majority of youths indicating that there are people that they can turn to in times of need. We'll now move on to another transition area highlighted as a key buffer for youth, which is employment. The findings in this area suggest that in terms of future employment outlook, younger respondents experience more worries. They are more likely to report feeling uncertain about employment and career prospects, and that it's difficult to attain their preferred form of employment. This is perhaps not too surprising, considering the early career stage that the youths are in. But encouragingly, when we look at measures that relate more to future changes, youths generally adopt more receptive or open attitudes. And this is in line with the future of work study that was conducted as part of SP2023 last year as well. For instance, youths are more receptive to moving overseas for work, with 55% of youth respondents being willing to do so compared to 45 and 33%. They are also more likely to foresee themselves making multiple career switches over their lifetime. 59% of youth respondents report they can see themselves doing so, compared to 50 and 41%. And finally, they also report feeling more prepared for tech innovations and disruptions in the workplace. So 53% of youth respondents indicated that they felt prepared, compared to 48 and 46% in the two old age groups. Finally, we move on to measures of civic engagement. Beyond work and personal lives, we are also interested in whether and how youth and other Singaporeans are civically engaged. And despite the challenges that youth may face, the poll found that they continue to be actively engaged in the civic space. Participation numbers are quite high across the board, but especially for youth respondents. Whether we are talking about online or offline civic activity, these figures remain high for the youth at around 66 to 67%. And this is particularly important to highlight because it may go against some public perceptions that youth advocacy generally manifests only online. But our poll suggests that this is not true. Youth participate more in both online and offline civic activities. Some of the most common civic activities are listed on the right and are identical across all three age groups. This includes staying informed online, sharing online content, conservation efforts, and discussing social or political issues in person. Beyond participation figures, youths are also more likely to consider online advocacy to be a useful form of civic participation. Thus, not only are youths more likely to participate in advocacy efforts online, they are more likely to do so under the assumption that this constitutes effective civic participation. Youths are also more likely to feel empowered about addressing social issues as an individual at 41% compared to 32 and 26%. This leads us to the last question, what are some of the social issues that our respondents care about? And in general, cost of living emerged as the top issue by a wide margin. There are some differences further down the list, however, when we break the issues down by age group. Here we can clearly see that mental health support is a concern that is quite high on the list for 21 to 49 year olds, but lower on the priority for 50 to 64 years old. This applies to social economic inequality as well. Conversely, and somewhat expectedly, aging population was seen as an issue of greater concern for older than younger respondents. And to end off the survey, we asked respondents about economic trade-offs that may arise from addressing some of these issues. More directly, we asked them whether they were willing to pay more taxes as an individual in supporting efforts in line with these issues. Encouragingly, there were no significant differences across age group in terms of willingness to pay more taxes to support an aging population. So even though this issue wasn't ranked as highly for youth, younger respondents still indicated that they were willing to bear greater personal economic burden to support the aging population. 
for equality and sustainability, youths were in fact more likely to report a willingness to pay more taxes in support of these efforts. In other words, not only do they care about these issues on a broader level, they're willing to put their money where their mouths are in supporting these causes. So that's all we have for the highlights of the poll, and here's a summary of the key findings that we just went through. I'll leave you to read through this briefly, and we'll now move on to a short discussion on the poll findings, as well as other relevant youth research with my colleagues Han and Melvin, so that we can explore some of these issues with a bit more depth. Thank you. Well, um, thank you, Shini. Uh, now, we have Hani with us, uh, who is the lead researcher for USTEP STATS. Uh, the other study Chini referenced in his presentation. Uh, in the interests of time, I'd like to remind the audience that there's no Q&A for this session. And let's kick off straight with some findings uh, Chini mentioned earlier on youth well-being. Now, you, uh, Chini, you mentioned the survey found youth were likelier to indicate um, being more isolated, uh, more lonely. Um, but ironically, we see youth also reporting participating, engaging more in that civic space. So perhaps that extends to having touch points, interactions with others. Well, Chini, um, well, hopefully you've caught your breath after 40 slides of <laughs> charts and numbers on a Monday morning. Any, any thoughts on why do more young people feel lonely these days? Yeah, so earlier we discussed the effects of the pandemic, and it seems as though these effects are felt a bit more strongly for our youth respondents than other, respond other age groups. So when you look at these issues from the perspective of life stage and life transitions, the findings are perhaps a bit easier to understand. The pandemic essentially robbed young people in the midst of transition to higher education, to the workplace, of the opportunity to participate in things like orientations and events that can be very helpful in forming new social bonds as we move into a new environment. The pandemic has also led to the proliferation of um, online interactions, remote meetings, remote classes, online conferences. And of course, online interactions are even more commonplace for our young. And this simply reflects the reality that they, they grew up in. So the real question here is really how to support youth in navigating this um, new frequently on online world that they, they live in. And I will echo some of the sentiments that were shared by the panelists in the wellbeing panel last Monday. So rather than forcing online interactions, we should explore ways to build communities both online and offline, and not ignore the potential of online communities to provide um, solidarity and support for youth too. Right, and Han, over to you. Why, why do you feel lonely these days? Why, what do you think is contributing <laughs> to isolation and loneliness in youth? I think everybody feels lonely once in a while. Um, but I, I want to speak to the USTEPS findings. Uh, uh, so the findings from USTEPS generally corroborate with what Chini has shared. So during the pandemic, the youth did miss out on a lot of opportunities to make new friends, colleagues, uh, and uh, also dive into new experiences. So the youth in our study shared, they wrote long stories to us about how they missed out on their gap years that they have been saving for, um, the exchange programs that they've been looking forward to, their internships, and also orientation at work, because uh, all they had was uh, uh, having lunch on Zoom. <laughs> so, but amidst um, all these setbacks, I think some silver linings do emerge. And uh, the youth, when they reflect, they also talk about how uh, they have deepened connections with family, finding comfort in stronger, what we call bonding social capital, built from weathering the um, adversities together. So it's not all doom and gloom, it's not all isolation. There were lost opportunities to build new social connections, but close family and relationship ties, um, those got stronger. And I think a, 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 a extensive research has shown that youth need both these kinds of ties to thrive in society. So when I was thinking, I was 
um, hearing you present, often I, I, I wondered if um, maybe now that we're out of the pandemic, if the employers and the youth organizations want to try to do like makeup um, orientation uh, to create these uh, um, social capital building opportunities that the transitioning youth um, in those years have missed out on. Well, it's great that you mentioned, you know, connections, you know, uh, more family connections. I want to move on and probe the two of you on the second set of findings presented. It's about family, right? Uh, Chini mentioned that aspirations for marriage and parenthood remain strong. For those under 35, we have a significant majority wanting to get hitched, to have kids. But then again, those youth attitudes towards marriage and having kids seem to be quite different compared to these aspirations. Um, we do also have a majority uh, feeling it's unnecessary to get married or to have kids. So, Han, do you think you know, these attitudes versus aspirations, are they conflicting? You know, what contributes to this disjunct? I think we have to remember that what's heartening is the majority. They still have aspirations for marriage and parenthood. Um, the seeming contradiction uh, arises when we consider the youth's uh, primary life goals. So this is something we ask every year. And there are the, the life goals that uh, constantly arise to the top are financial security, happiness, good health, especially during the pandemic, and the freedom to pursue personal interests. And, and some of these material aspirations we've noticed over the years, they have become expected. I don't know if it's their aspirations anymore because they expect to have it. Um, and then when it, when it comes to marriage and parenthood, they too set very um, uh, specific criteria, such as financial security and having a place of their own, which is quite high. You saw it on one of the slides just now. The challenge emerges when they feel the need to meet these criteria before they take the plunge. Concerns about housing affordability, the cost of raising children, uh, coupled with worries about a potential trade-off on uh, personal pursuits, um, like going overseas three to four times a year. So, um, yeah, that's uh, expected. Uh, contribute to their hesitations. Uh, so, in their balancing act between like the comfortable lifestyles that they want and expect and the personal leisure, uh, versus the responsibilities of uh, marriage and parenthood. The latter becomes uh, optional, right? right. And, and Chini, any, any response to Han on that? Are you happily married? Did you aspire to get married? <laughs> um, I'm very, very happily married in case my wife is watching. I also have uh, two, two young children. They sometimes make me very happy as well. Yeah, but putting aside the, the personal story, from a research perspe perspective, we will say that the pattern of results is actually not too different from what other youth studies have been finding. And I think another way forward for us is perhaps to find out a little bit more about the type of the profile of youth in relation to family aspirations and plans. So I mean, if we just take a very simple extrapolation on the results and we say that um, they are, they youth no longer base their identity or meaning on things like parenthood, on, on things like ma marriage, then that would be a very, but they still aspire for these things, then we will say that this is a very positive outcome, right? But this is not the reality of what we are seeing. So by studying the profile of youth who want to get married and to have children and those who don't, we can, we can understand the situation a little bit more and take on a more targeted approach as well. Mm -hmm. So I'll just share one example. In our poll, we actually found a, a gender disparity as well, in the sense that young women were a lot more likely than young men to, to say that uh, marriage and parenthood were not necessary, and they were a lot less likely to, to indicate that they hope that they can foresee themselves getting married and having children in the future. So this is clearly a gap that we need to put more time and effort into understanding. And we can imagine that other factors like um, SES, educational attainment, family backgrounds, all these play a part as well. 
Yeah. So in the same vein, I think we also need to understand a little bit more about what the youths are referring to when they talk about the bar barriers to marriage and parenthood. So factors like other priorities, um, lack of time and energy, stress, cause these are all very broad, broad reasons that we can understand in greater depth as well. And this will help us to understand what kind of policies can actually help in closing this gap. Right, it's great. Both of you I, wait, brought... Wait, wait, so I have to jump in because I, I, I just had a very cheeky thought. So instead of... Um, I, know, I know there are... There are some of those in this room who always tell young people about our uh, dismal TFR um, total fertility rate, right? And I think you know you get tired of you know having this weighed down on the weighing down on the young people. So maybe one practical uh, step that we can take is to just encourage young individuals to engage with others, yes, either online or offline. Now the it's without the immediate focus on marriage or parenthood, or um, housing considerations. So date to build connections without the kind of the pressure of uh, predefined life milestones. Must have house, right? must be financial, financially secure, and then we can you know, take the plunge. Then, then maybe, no, we go back to the first point, maybe they won't feel so socially isolated. Okay, but that's the boomer talking, right? <laughs> I guess there's the dark cloud looming over us, right? Uh, you mentioned housing, material aspects. Chini uh, mentioned costs. Let's, let's talk about you know, that broader tranche of cost of living issues. Um, it seems to be you know, the major factor impacting you know, thoughts of marriage or children. Chini, uh, you mentioned cost of living is top of mind for most youth. Uh, one slide that stood out probably for most uh, is, I, I think, that three-column slide right at the top, and it's cost of living across all age groups you know, being uh, the number one issue of concern at this point. Uh, so, Chini, what do you think are some key factors for this? So I think the cost of living is undeniably a significant concern, including for the youth demographic. And perhaps the next step here is for us to understand a little bit more about what different generations mean and what they are most concerned about when we talk about cost of living. So to put it more directly, even just the term cost of living, we can imagine that it invokes different images in the minds of a 25-year-old and a 55-year-old. So for the young people among us who have yet to attain certain markers of financial stability, such as job security or home ownership, it can be difficult for them to prioritize other areas of life, such as family formation or even personal well-being. And so we can imagine that these cost of living concerns will actually cut across all these other domains that we've been talking about and can end up affecting other areas like career choices or life aspirations as well. And from a psychological perspective, we might say that these concerns can affect the time perspective of our youth as well. It results in them focusing more on present worries and challenges as opposed to future plans and how to achieve them. Right, and Han, how does, how does this finding gel with you know, what you know from research? I know you mentioned you know, uh, we should get out there, you know, engage with people. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking sometimes even in engagement, you, know, you, you still need to fork out some money. Uh, I guess for youth now, okay, if you hop onto Bumble or you know, Coffee Miss Bagel, okay, you want a premium account, right? You kind of you have to pay, what, 12 bucks, you know, that kind of thing, <laughs> or 48 bucks, and you know, even that has a cost to that. What do you have to say to that too? Um, I, I want to return to what uh, Chin Yi says, that when we talk about cost of living, we really have to break it down to um, what different groups in society think of or have as cost of living uh, burdens or um, uh, what, it, what concerns. So um, for uh, the elderly Singaporeans or the senior Singaporeans, um, it's very often healthcare. And then when we talk to the young people, the top two are always... Yes, daily expenses, um, uh, daily expenditures, but housing. Housing is consistently at the top of their list. So we're not, let's not shy away from that. It's expensive. 
And it's understandable because, you know, if, if just put ourselves, some of you don't need to in the audience, don't need to put yourself in the shoes of a young person. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of the young people. The very first exposure they have to, like, trying to buy a house is what? The headlines in the media. This HDB transacted for the record $1.3 million. And that one in this estate that I want transacted for a record $1.7 million. So you get all this, you know, you're thinking of getting your own house. The first thing that you see are these $1.4, $1.7 million houses. Of course, you will think that it's um, unaffordable or even unattainable. So um, I, I acknowledge that the HDB flats are not cheap. But I think it's important to know and remind ourselves that not all of them are million-dollar uh, flats. In fact, very few of them are, right? So, and, and um, maybe sharing a little more from what we found um, in uh, the Youth Step study was it uncovered an interesting differences in the attitudes between uh, singles and married individuals. So, um, when we asked singles when they were younger about uh, their concerns, they talk about housing affordability, and the concerns are quite serious. They, they have significant uh, worries about being able to afford the house. But a few years down the road, we asked the same individuals, right? And it is those who got married whose uh, perceptions of housing affordability tend to improve. Of course, you will say, of course, right? But the qualitative stories behind the change that we've been tracking are fascinating. So yes, the change is due to the dual income, as well as higher incomes that comes with um, the age. But, and there's also one other thing that we uncovered, which is what I call the, the magical uh, Excel spreadsheet. Uh, those, those who have applied for public housing uh, can understand this, right? So you would, uh, when couples are ready to apply for um, HDB housing, they will go and do this magic spreadsheet, right? And then, and then they will start to kind of be familiarized with the housing grants, the HDB loans, and then the monthly installments. And then as, as they work on their spreadsheet, their views about uh, affordability, becomes more balanced. Again, I'm not claiming that it's cheap, right? I, I'm just saying that it's, uh, I think once people start to know and actually work towards housing um, ownership, it's, it's really not out of reach for a lot of the young people. So I wanted to emphasize this point um, about the public perceptions and the actual experiences, and especially when we track the same youth from they were in their 20s, early 20s to their late 20s, and see how those views about being, afford, being able to afford housing in Singapore change um, over the years. And I'm mindful that um, uh, Minister Lee will be on later for a dialogue, and I expect that some of these issues will be revisited. Right, and well, that's all the time that we have for our pre-conference survey findings. Um, we hope that piqued your interest in our coming panels on youth, family and politics, and of course what Minister Lee has to say to round up the conference. Uh, thank you, Chini, Sam, uh, Han, and let's pass the time back to our MC, Sam.